Today's episode of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Eat Your Coffee. Energize the moment with Eat Your Coffee, a coffee company that was founded by coffee-deprived college students at Boston's Northeastern University. Today, the company is on a mission to get people energized with tasty caffeinated snacks. Every Eat Your Coffee bar is caffeinated with fair trade coffee, comparable to one cup, and is made with real ingredients so you can feel good with every energizing bite. And as always, energize the moment with Eat Your your coffee. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, it, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. That touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? Well, you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status. It's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people had the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. the two-man power trip of wrestling and you're listening to the feature show here on the two-man power trip of wrestling where we like to do something a little different we like to spotlight some other aspects of the professional wrestling industry and on this episode number three we have a very interesting topic at hand so if you didn't know by now my name is chad and as always i'm joined by my tag team partner the one and only jp john Paz. and i also want to mention that today's episode is powered 
by Eat Your Coffee. You know all about them, and you'll hear more about them in a little bit. But, John, we're going to get rolling into this feature show featuring the man behind the book Trump Mania, a good wrestling fan, and a great conversation on this episode with Lavi Margolin joining us to talk all about tr- Donald Trump and his association with the McMahon family and the world of professional wrestling. And this one, to me, can't have an easier topic to talk about, especially because, what, three quarters of it? We're talking about the late 80s WWF, WrestleMania 4, WrestleMania 5. Just an easy conversation with a guy like Lavi, a fan who you pointed out we probably passed, I mean, a million times at old Ring of Honor shows back in the uh, the early days of Ring of Honor in the early 2000s on some of those absolutely mind-bogglingly huge Ring of Honor shows. But, you know, hey, another great find, another great contributor to the wrestling business, throwing this book out there. You know, it's so cool to have Lavi on the show here. Feature show number three. I love it. And I love that the fact that this book, Trump Mania, is out there and doing so well and that he's doing a lot of press for it, which is good for us, obviously. And we got a great copy of the book. So obviously, big thank you to Lavi for that. It is a great book. A very, very enjoyable read. I love that there is some other stuff and some other elements to the book where it's not just per se, it's going to be all uh, Trump and Vince. I mean, it, there is a, a lot of Trump and Vince, but I love the other aspect of the book where we go a little bit into Linda and we go a little bit into some of the behind the scenes stuff with Trump, you know, being the owner quote unquote of raw or, or you know, the behind the scenes of WrestleMania 23 and we go behind the scenes of WrestleMania four and five. So there's so much interesting stuff and so much cool stuff out of the book. And anytime you have a subject like Donald Trump, which is a totally polarizing subject, you're going to get a lot of good, a lot of bad, a lot of weird, if you will, a lot of crazy stories about him, a lot of interesting looks, a lot of opinions. So I, I just love everything about Trumpania and I just like everything about Trump as a subject because there is a just a huge mass of subject matter to cover on him. I mean, I feel like we almost didn't even touch on all the subjects we could have touched on uh, on the book A and uh, on Trump B, but just such good stuff with Lavi. I really enjoyed it. You mentioned the ROH shows, which was great, and we're talking about some of the shows. We were definitely at together and didn't even realize we were at all those shows together. So that was crazy. And obviously, we were talking about some of the great venues that we enjoyed it at the ROH shows. But you know what, Chad? I just love, in the Trump book, I just love the fact that they talk about how he was the owner of Raw, right? or supposedly, quote-unquote, the owner of Raw. But a lot of people and smart people and people in business really, really thought that he was the owner of Monday Night Raw and had a piece of WB as far as the stock market was concerned. Yeah, that was a, it was an interesting time. It was quite the publicity stunt. And he was perfect uh, at that point where they were doing the guest hosts and they were doing the uh, celebrity cameos. It was that cool commercial-free Raw era that they were trying to get off the ground, which at that point, I think that was around the time they were switching to the three-hour shows. And I mean, they need a gimmick, and obviously you can't go wrong with, with Donald Trump and how the Battle of the Billionaires, I mean, set box office records for WrestleMania and for WWE and got such mainstream attention as Donald Trump and a bald Vince McMahon are on the, the floor of the Today Show and they're in Rockefeller Plaza 
talking about the match from the night before and just a, an amazing association that goes all the way back to the late 1980s and, and talking about WrestleMania 4 and talking about WrestleMania 5. That's exactly where I go for when I want my WrestleMania fix. I, I go right to WrestleMania 4, start there, go into 5, and kind of work around the, the things that led up to them because I just love the look of that building. I love how the events went down, especially, especially WrestleMania 4 being longer than the average pay-per-view at, at that point, and it gives you a great background on how Donald Trump, Trump Plaza, how it played into the success of WrestleMania and how it evolved WrestleMania because before WrestleMania 4, you weren't really seeing some of the other little fan aspects that they worked into the WrestleMania experience, including the brunch, including the meet and greets, the 5K that they did on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. You didn't see that stuff going on until the Trump Association happened, and that can't be just coincidental. That's got to be by chance that... These two are linking up, and they're obviously two huge marketing machines. And honestly, John, I think it's almost like a match made in heaven that you get the eccentric personality of a Vince McMahon with the uh, the brains and the business acumen of, of Trump and bringing those two things together, especially in the late 80s. That's like a Frankenstein monster, you know, kind of like taking over one segment of entertainment. And they're like two peas in a pod when you think about it. You know, guys that... You know, necessarily, they, they did come for money, but they took that money. They took that seed and they really exploded it, made it into, you know, made themselves into billionaires with it and did so much with it. And I feel like it was that quote unquote, you know, match made in heaven kind of thing where Vince needed him and he needed Vince and they kind of played off each other even then and especially throughout all the years. You know, like when Vince needed a big draw, he went to Trump and when Trump needed to promote apprentice or whatever he went to vince so it was the perfect match made in heaven even maybe maybe if linda needed a job maybe trump could help you know just speculating on that one but uh, you know throw that out there as well so there's always you know a little bit of uh, patting on the back a little bit of help and they're always helping each other and obviously very good friends uh, over the years and i feel like it's not just a friendship but almost more of a uh, a business relationship as well because they just match each other so well and they kind of just go in hand in hand and it doesn't seem like there's any sort of uh, rift between them ever because they just kind of flow together. They just work together so easily that there doesn't really need to be any sort of rift or any sort of problem, uh, especially when you need WrestleMania, you know, comes along and, and the venue or when wrestlemania comes along wrestlemania 23 and you need a big star and you need somebody to maybe a big draw trump comes through and does the biggest draw ever in the history of mania so i mean they really do help each other over the years they really do go hand in hand and when it comes to the hair they do match up as well if you know what i mean you got the trump hair and vince used to have that that famous head of hair as well that a lot of people thought was a toupee <laughs> the Vince Quaff, if you will. The Vince yes. uh Yes. That that yeah. I mean and it never I don't feel like Vince's hair didn't really come back to like two or three years ago the way uh the way it used to look back in the day. And Trump shaved him bald with a little help from uh Stone Cold Steve Austin. But yeah, it's a hell of a of a hell of a story. Great book by Lavi. We appreciate Lavi coming on and, and giving us a little bit of time to talk about this book. And hey, if you're looking for something different than just the regular average wrestling story, why don't you check out Trump Mania? We got all the uh, the descriptions in the episode from Lavi as to where you can find it. But just get on over to Amazon and look up Trump Mania if you want to read a synopsis 
of the book and maybe it'll tickle your fancy. Maybe you'll want to pick it up. So with all that being said, we'll move on here into feature episode number three. Again, we want to look into different aspects of the wrestling business, some different stories to tell out there than just some of the interviews that we that we feature every week on Two Man Power Trips. So another special one coming your way. And like I said, this episode's powered by Eat Your Coffee. If you want an energy boost, but you don't want to stop for that cup of joe, grab an Eat Your Coffee bar, and it's equivalent to one full cup of fair trade coffee. And it'll give you that little energy boost that you need to get through your day. So Eat Your Coffee is the sponsor for this show. And moving forward, you're going to hear a lot about Eat Your Coffee in the coming weeks. So stay tuned for that. And I guess that's enough out of us. Let's throw it on over to this feature episode, John. And let's hit him with some two-man power trip of wrestling business. And let's talk a little bit about Trump Mania. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, TMPTofWrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, he is an Amazon Kindle number one bestseller. He is, of course, the author of Trump Mania, which is all about Vince McMahon, the WB, and the making America's 45th president, Donald Trump. He is Labby Margulies. Please enjoy. Money, 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 money. Here tonight on the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling's feature show is the author of Trump Mania, a very interesting look at the relationship between Vince McMahon and Donald Trump and the blossoming worlds of the politics and professional wrestling. So joining us here on the line is Lavi Margolin, the author. Thank you so much for joining the Two Man Power Trip. Hey guys, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Oh, our pleasure. You know, we got a chance to check out the book, got a chance to kind of live through this, too, which is another uh, good <laughs> a good part of uh, knowing the story. But tell us how this book came about. Obviously, uh, we're, and I just want to advise this at the, at the top of this. We're not going to go crazy into the politics here. There's nothing that's going to be uh, 
you know, taking a stance. There's nothing that's going to be declaring one side or the other. This is going to be strictly McMahon and Trump. But tell us how the book came about and what led you to uh, putting this piece together. Right. And I myself wasn't even a close watcher of politics until um, observing uh, Donald Trump's run to the president. There was uh, two roads that were very important that led to writing this book. Like um, you guys, I'm sure, and many of your listeners, I've been a huge fan of professional wrestling for uh, about the last 30 years, more so the first 15 than the latter 15, although I, I follow the business very closely. One of the earliest matches that I can remember was when Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage took on the Twin Towers on uh, the main event. And it was one of the key angles that led to setting up the clash of the mega powers, Hulk Hogan against Macho Man at WrestleMania 5. Coincidentally, both WrestleMania 4 and 5 took place under Donald Trump's watch at Boardwalk Hall, or what's more likely thought of as the Trump Taj Mahal. Um, at the same time, um, the election season of 2016 was so fascinating um, in terms of watching Donald Trump debate and what he would say next. And when I would often watch it with my wife, I would point out, oh, you know what, um, the way that he's assigning easy nicknames or that he knows how to uh, hop up a crowd and entertain them or um, to come up with something that might not be based in exact fact, but really appeals to the audience. I said, that's right out of professional wrestling. Um, so a little bit after the election, need a little bit of of a break from, from thinking about all of the politics, but in speaking to a friend about various book ideas that I had, um, I'd written a number of career books and written articles about wrestling, but hadn't written a wrestling specific book before. When I mentioned the idea of Trump mania, it was a friend that normally doesn't get too excited about anything. And when I mentioned it to him, he's like, this is the book. I said, this is the book. He's like, yes, you have to write this one. And it got me excited to embark on doing research. And I learned a lot myself when I was uh, researching the book. Not every president can say that they are also a WWE Hall of Famer. So that in, in itself is, uh, is an impressive lead-in for the book. But that's uh, that era, that 1988-89 era, I say there's WrestleMania 4 and 5, and then there's the rest of the WrestleManias, because those are the first ones that I saw. So those are always going to hold a really special place in, uh, in in my history as a fan personally. But when you think about that buildup, that was a huge deal to have that WrestleMania in Atlantic City, to have it at the Trump Plaza Casino, and to have it be the first ever tournament on a pay-per-view for the World Championship. There's been tournaments before, the, the Wrestling Classic tournament from uh, 1985, I believe, but this one was for the World Championship, and when we think of Trump and we think of the early days of the relationship, and you guys have it uh, pictured here in the book, is the picture of Donald Trump in between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, and that picture alone speaks volumes to me when you think about that era of professional wrestling. Yes, it was really iconic. Um, like you mentioned, I think when we become fans, it's always that first period or perhaps shortly afterwards when we're introduced that kind of holds that special moment in our heart um thankfully for me i was able to go back with it when video stores were big there was a place just just around the block from where i grew up where they very much invested in wrestling tapes so that was a great way to learn and um talking about donald trump at the press conference there were some wonderful photos that i had just seen online um uh, where Trump was beaming, being around stars like Hogan and Andre and 
Randy Savage, and it was clear, and he's not shy about it, that he was a big fan. No, not at all. And you love in that uh, WrestleMania four, you know, the first time the million dollar man goes over and shakes his hand, and it's kind of like you know the the inside, you know, the the, the nod to the uh, the rich guy in the ring, and then the rich guy outside the ring, and you see all the uh, Trump executives at ringside, whether or not they were interested or not. Like you said, uh, the Donald was uh, was very interested himself, and obviously we're going to get into it how the relationship blossomed. But what about the book really drew you to this story? of Donald Trump not just as the uh, becoming the president, but also as somebody who was a purveyor of entertainment. Obviously, he's a mogul in terms of real estate, but how did you kind of explore the entertainment aspect and the history of Trump? Um, one of the best resources or most interesting ways to look back was to look at uh, mainstream newspaper articles. At the time, I used an uh, archive known as at newspapers.com and used a number of keywords related to Trump and Atlantic City. And it helped to educate me not only about how WrestleMania 4 and, and 5 came about, but about Trump's position at the time. Um, one of the key elements of Trump's uh, Atlantic City empire was being able, of course, to draw gamblers. And one of the first things that they saw to do it was boxing. Um, it was really a heyday for boxing at the time, larger than life personalities like a Mike Tyson, certainly at the forefront, but a Vander Holyfield and such. But there was only so many top-notch boxing matches that you could have. And one of his um, key executives, um, the late Mark, I think, or uh, Mark Rosinger Etis um, had suggested that they look for the mid-market gambler, um, somebody that may come in and bring their family and you'd entertain their family and um, at least the, the dads would be happy to gamble that weekend. Um, so when looking to do that, um, when uh, Mark was at an event where Basil DeVito was and they were talking about um, uh, gambling and, and marketing and, and events, they sort of came together and they hatched this idea for WrestleMania 4 and 5. So I didn't get a, a great sense that in advance of WrestleMania 4, there was a strong relationship between Trump and McMahon. I'm sure that they met leading up to it to finalize the deal. Um, but as it grew and, and they saw the success of 4 and connected more through 5, that's when the relationship blossomed. Um, one of the interesting facts was that it wasn't because of WrestleMania 4. There was a WrestleMania 5 in Atlantic City. When the deal was signed, it was for a two-event deal. And that was probably why there was this wonderful storyline between uh, Hogan and Savage that stretched out over a year. Yeah, that's also very cool to see is that it starts with them. Uh, you see the, the lasting image of, uh, of Miss Elizabeth on the Macho Man's shoulders with the Hulkster pointing backwards at the new champion, then to a year later him defeating him. And all three of them being a major part of that uh, that main event, which, you know, again, like I said, to me, it's WrestleMania 4 and 5, and then the rest of them, because it's just a, a time period that I wish you could have bottled up and, you know, kind of let it out whenever you want it. But there's so much about not just what WrestleMania 4 and 5 were in Atlantic City, and that being the beginning of the relationship. I'm sure, because of the connections with Dick Ebersol and how tied the McMahons were into the New York City uh, you know, upper crust because of their relationship with Madison Square Garden and, and the people who were in, in high positions for major organizations all based out of uh, New York. 
I'm sure they crossed paths at some point, and I'm sure this was some kind of master plan because in 1987, 1988, the WWF was doing unreal numbers. And for somebody like Trump, who sees the uh, the benefit of the dollar, he probably saw huge dollar signs when looking at an entity like a WrestleMania. When you saw the Hulkster on Saturday Night Live, or you saw him on Joan Rivers, or you saw them cutting albums, and you saw the videotape numbers, it was something that pretty much at that point they were destined to meet up there in Atlantic City. Yes, and you know they're very much kindred spirits, McMahon and Trump, in that um, they both figure out ways to be financially successful. Whether you tie it to their fathers uh, completely or not, um, they know how to gain media attention, and they they live their own way. They live larger than life, and they don't live the way one would expect um, a multimillionaire to or an executive to. They sort of do it their own way, and they're proud of it in that way. And, and that WrestleMania four also was a pretty big uh, landmark for the WWE's WrestleMania package because for the first time we're starting to see things like the, uh, the, the bacon biceps and breakfast or whatever they call it. You're starting to see that. You're seeing the WrestleMania 5K as part of WrestleMania four. You're seeing all these different things start to pop up and it's almost like that was the genesis. And again, maybe it's something of bouncing ideas off one another that those two years in Atlantic City, New Jersey, really built what became these giant WrestleMania weekends that we still see as we're anticipating one only a few months down the road. Right, and and that was one of the um, most fascinating things to me because just having you know watched it on tape um, or, or replays at, at later points, um, I remembered you know short clips possibly during the programming of of those events, but it didn't stand out. But when you look back on it um, from the perspective of what is WrestleMania now, 30 years later, it was really um, an early step to getting there where they go in and out of it. Um, WrestleMania 10 in in New York, I remember they had a little bit of uh, an expo in in one of the side rooms in Madison Square Garden, but it was nothing like it became, but it certainly was an indicator of it. And not to get ahead of ourselves, but you look at another jumping off point when there was the Battle of the Billionaires, that was the first time consecutively that WrestleMania had been in a stadium again. So WrestleMania hasn't gone back to a smaller stadium since that event. And I I think that really helped to kick it off and make things bigger than it had been. Yeah, it was a weird stretch there in the early 2000s where I believe it was starting with WrestleMania 20. They went back to being in the arenas and it was 20 in New York. It was 21 in L.A. and then 22, I believe, was in Chicago. And then all of a sudden, 23, they, they completely... Uh, it's like they almost they cashed in at the right time because uh, that event in itself, and we'll get into that here in a few minutes, that, that event in itself was just a, a remarkable business uh, endeavor for the WWE and something they desperately needed. But back to, let's, get, let's take that time machine back to the 1980s here. <laughs> we got to stick here in 1988, 1989. So they signed that two-year deal. They, they see that there's something, or their two-event deal, and they see there's something kind of brewing here with the two uh, events being back-to-back. Now, Trump would pop up in a WrestleMania a few years down the road at WrestleMania 7 as well, but when you look at WrestleMania 4 and 5, what do you see stand out to you as somebody who's writing this book? As like, Are you going back and watching Donald Trump in the event just to see kind of what his reactions are like at that point for that uh, you know 1988, 1989 era Trump? 
Yes, and um, of course it was fun to do um, watching it very closely. Um, you know, if you ever watch a rerun of a show, the first time you watch it, you see sort of the main action that's going on. The second or third time, you start noticing some elements you hadn't before. So it was fun to to watch and, and notice things like that. One of the things that stood out the most, certainly, especially WrestleMania Four, not as much in WrestleMania Five, was the Trump branding. Um, how much um, name dropping there was of Trump, and as you had mentioned, um, getting him on on camera with uh, Ted DiBiase, and um, just in a humorous way, after you had been exposed to so much of that, everything saying Trump on the back of uh, JYD Junkyard Dog's trunks, um, it said Thump, but you could almost imagine it said Trump just because you were so used to seeing the word. <laughs> Yeah, there's that. And obviously, uh, Jesse the Body was playing up Trump the whole time. And uh, you get a very awkward Sean Mooney uh, interview with Donald Trump at WrestleMania Five, which uh, I'd love to hear. I don't know if we asked him about it when we had him on uh, about a year ago, but that's uh, that's one of the most awkward. And I don't know if he was just so loud <laughs> or if he was kind of overtaken by the presence of the Donald. But when you look at WrestleMania 4 or 5, you're exactly right. It's almost like you can go and watch him and see those singulary uh, incidents over those two, uh, two shows where you can kind of point out, you know, maybe where he was having a little too much fun, you know? Yes. And, um, there was an interesting, um, interview with, uh, Jake Roberts where he talked about going over and, um, scaring, um, uh, well, Donald Trump wasn't scared, but his, his wife, um, Ivanka at the time where she had, he noticed she wasn't watching the action and, um, uh, she ended up spilling some some wine on herself, uh, and then um, she went to the back and she asked the security guard, "Why didn't you shoot the snake?" Uh, which was humorous. Um, Jake, I think, is, is a big storyteller. I didn't include everything that that he said about Trump, but um, one could imagine a scenario like that playing out. I just love looking at the relationship between. Trump and Vince and kind of, you know, you can go back all the way to WrestleMania four and WrestleMania five and, and see the, you know, the, the relationship kind of blossoming and blooming. Do you think that those two were always kind of friends or do you think that at some point it was, it was great for business for both of them to kind of partner up together, so to speak? Um, you know, at the end of the day, both of them live their lives very out loud, um, very forward-facing, and it's hard to tell what is a friend to them. But I think that in some ways, they prop each other up. For both of them throughout their careers and their public lives, respect has been hard to come by sometimes, um, you know, of their own doing. And when you don't get it from all of the mainstream press, you may get it from a base of supporters. Um, you look for others in a somewhat similar position to you. So here they, they both um, are successful, seemingly business leaders, and the other one validates the other. Um, if you think about you know when Trump appeared much later in, in storylines, Battle of the Billionaires and as an owner, um, all McMahon would do would praise him, and, and that was great for Trump's ego, and Trump praise McMahon. And even to this day, he wishes him a happy birthday and provides an opportunity for Linda. So I think that's what their friendship or their relationship is really based on, um, propping each other up. Um, 
you know, personally, but also at certain points when they need each other or when it's helpful, um, really being great for business too. Trump has definitely helped WWE's business a lot, whether people want to, I guess, admit it or not. But, you know, we were talking a little bit about WrestleMania 23 and the huge numbers that uh, the show brought in. And it was one of the most popular WrestleManias of all time. I may be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure it is the best drawing WrestleMania of all time. So is it kind of one of those things where it's like, all right, you know, Trump is good for business. Yes, but Trump is extremely good for the WB business for whatever reason. He attracts that outside viewer to the wrestling business. Yes, when, when utilized correctly and it hits, and it certainly hit for the Battle of the Billionaires, um, it's either number one or just number two in pay-per-view buy rates. I think one of the um, Rock Cena uh, matches um, uh, may have just surpassed it, but you know, it was the right storyline. There was always that fascination of the public, sort of like that kayfabe fascination. Is it real or isn't it? What's the story with Donald Trump's hair? And, you know, coming <laughs> off The Apprentice and being like very sort of in the moment. Um, I think we've just figured out what, what the story is with the hair. But when, when you add in the stipulation of a hair versus hair match, it's sort of, it's that like lightning in a bottle that, that happens every once in a while where, pro wrestling or any type of storyline transcends mainstream media and just becomes something people want to know about and learn about. One of the challenges that they had to overcome was that um, WrestleMania 23 was scheduled on April Fool's Day. So um, WWE's PR had to really say, no, someone will actually lose their hair. <laughs> that is great because uh, I remember people were kind of saying, oh, obviously there's trickery going on or you know something foul play Vince isn't going to shave his head Trump's not going to shave his head obviously Trump wins and, and he ends up shaving his head I just love that Trump is such a good sport he punches Vince out you know in, in the match um, he takes a stunner isn't that just so him though he kind of really gets into the moment instead of just kind of just being there he just wanted to be more a part of the action than maybe he even should have been. Yes. Um, you know, even those um, detractors, you know, in the company, um, you know, if they had anything to say, they said, you know, he really put himself out there. There, there was sort of concern of, of what will he do and, um, you know, how he participate. But the fact that he was willing to take the stunner, no matter, you know, uh, I think possibly Linda McMahon and his administration looked worse taking it. Uh, it might have been a tie, but anything like that where you have somebody, what, like 240 pounds, grabbing the front of your face, pulling your neck down when you don't really know what to do, that's you know extremely dangerous. And his handlers had really suggested he not do that at all. But from hearing from Vince that, you know, it would get wonderful cheers, he was all for it. And, um, Certainly, he enjoyed uh, the punching aspect. Um, uh, Armando Alejandro um, had sort of been his stand-in, uh, stood in uh, for Vince the day of for Trump to practice his punching. And um, uh, Armando had said that he couldn't even put on his uh, white fedora hat because his head was swelling up so much that he was so enthusiastic to do his punches. And, um, you know, again, not to get too political, but 
Uh, we saw Trump, you know, even last week, miming doing a body slam uh, when he was in Montana playing off an <laughs> incident that happened at the last election. He is definitely a big wrestling fan. I mean, you could say he might be taking stuff from wrestling, but I almost feel like it's almost like he's such a big fan. It's like ingrained in his head of all, all this wrestling stuff. I mean, could I be wrong on that? Or you just think maybe he's just kind of like all of our kind of wrestling fans. We do stuff and say stuff and act out stuff. And it's from us watching wrestling, whether we want to believe it or not. And I feel like Trump might fall in that same category. Right. Um, he's definitely a worker, as they say in the yeah. business. I think, yeah. um, uh, you know, where, where, where your character ends and, and you begin sort of meld one into another and, and you know, where kayfabe begins and reality ends, you know, I think he, he understands, for him, reality is what does the audience want to hear? Where am I trying to get to? Um, you know, how can I do it in a way that's sort of very much out there and, and in some ways very physical um, or painting a physical picture. So, um, you know, it, it probably was inspired by wrestling, but at, at this point it, it's going beyond that. It's, it's who he is. And as far as Armando Alejandro Estrada, he was actually on our show not that long ago, and he told a great story about Trump and how basically, like you said, he you know got beat up for real, just kind of practicing along with Trump because Trump takes it so seriously. I feel like that is kind of an interesting thing because some of the celebrities and some of the people involved with wrestling they don't take it as seriously, or they're just you know kind of doing it for the money or just to promote something. I feel like he really did it, quote unquote, for the love of the game. I agree. Um, he's definitely somebody that, that falls on, on that side, probably uh, Mike Tyson as well. And, and, you know, probably one of the reasons why both of them were, were so successful being dropped into this world, because they are fans and they loved it and they, they're willing to embrace that. Now, as far as Linda, we mentioned her just kind of briefly before, and obviously she took an awful stunner as well. But isn't that funny how that kind of, parallels their friendship and everything else that now into the politics world she kind of gets dragged into it not that she wasn't always in the politics world but she kind of is right in the middle literally just like the cover of the book she is right smack dab in the middle of it with trump and vince and interestingly she is one of the um most powerful uh, people in his cabinet that really has taken no heat in her current role um, I'm not sure if you follow her on Twitter, especially her SBA, Small Business Administration Twitter, but she's really working hard. Um, she's touring like she's on a WWF circuit in, in the mid-80s. She's actually um, made a mission for herself that she's going to visit every SBA office from you know, Alaska to Hawaii to Chicago and, and everything in between. I'm not sure if my geography was off there, but um, she's, you know, she's, taking those photo ops in the Wisconsin cheese-making business and, and on and on. Um, she seems to really have found her calling. Uh, you know, she had spent $80 million over two campaigns in, in trying to reach the Senate through Connecticut that failed. And, you know, that seemed like that was more of her aspirations to be an elected official in that way. But, you know, building up this relationship with Trump and having supported him financially with his campaign. And even after having 
spoken out about him is, is perhaps not the most qualified or the candidate that she supported the most, although she dodged it um, for a while. Um, you know, this relationship of Trump meeting people that he can trust and he remembers his, his friends and business, um, it was a good opportunity for her. He is definitely loyal as far as kind of giving back to McMahon, as everyone knows, in the political realm, gave a lot of money to Trump, a lot of support to Trump. So in, in that aspect, very loyal to her and kind of paid her back. I just find it funny. It's almost like, you know, obviously she used to be a, a major, major part of the WWF and obviously work, part owner, if you will, and working hand in hand with Vince. I, but I just, you know, it's kind of ironic, like Trump helps them out. They, you know, they help Trump and it kind of goes back and forth for, you know, almost 30 years now. It's just, uh, is it loyalty, friendship, or is there the, the business aspect that plays a bigger role in that? I think there's been trust built through business and um, there's certainly a loyalty element when metal is tested to see who really stands with you. Um, one of the most interesting pieces that I found in the book that had been forgotten a little bit about was when Trump, um, excuse me, when McMahon started the World Bodybuilding Federation, he announced the federation in, a, in the Trump-owned plaza at the time. And then he held the event at a, a Trump casino where, where Trump sat front row through the whole event. So kudos for him on that. And then when <laughs> McMahon had to defend himself against steroid allegations, just about six months later, he chose to use the plaza again. So he leaned back on, on Trump for that. So, you know, when, when there's when you're looking for sort of something that's comfortable, especially when you're in the position of vulnerability, you know, they, they've looked to each other. I love that they can kind of be friends all this time. They kind of use themselves in certain ways, business-wise, where, like, hey, you know, um, I need a bump, which you do cover in the book. I need a you know, a bump in ratings. How about I bring you in and you become the quote-unquote owner of Raw? We, you know, we, we kind of, you know, keep the feud going in that way. Do you think that sometimes it's almost, not out of desperation, so to speak, but do you think Vince is like, We'll look at Trump and we're like, you know, I really need a pop here. I need, really need something here. And he kind of goes back to somebody who's worked for him in the past and somebody who's loyal and possibly, you know, the biggest name out of his uh, Rolodex that he could find. Sure. And um, definitely the, uh, the owner of Raw Angle was, was one of those where you looked back to the past and you think about sort of what was a big storyline and who's available, and, and Trump certainly was. But I think Trump had it right when he spoke with McMahon, um, appearing alongside him on, I believe it was the Today Show, and they asked about a rematch, and Trump was already downplaying it, saying that they were friends, and also that you know it, it's never as special when it, when it happens again. Um, I believe McMahon wanted Trump right away on the next, pay-per-view, you know, backlash or whatever it may be, a smaller event. And, and Trump smartly knew not not to do that. And, you know, the owner of Raw definitely popped ratings and it got a lot of attention for AJ. But, you know, when USA Network put out a press release that Trump was now the owner of Raw and given, you know, some of 
his bankruptcies and such, the stock started dropping. So they hmm. had decided we, we have to end this because, you know, reality, again, is being confused with fiction. Always seems to happen. One thing that, you know, which obviously leads into a little bit later, a few years later, and it's covered in the book as well, is that MSG is going to host the Hall of Fame and they, they need some big names. Bruno San Martino obviously was the headliner, but he's almost a co-headliner because Trump is inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, which you know was going to get a lot of mainstream press. A lot of people covered it that you didn't think would be covering it. People are still talking about him being in the WWE Hall of Fame. Was that something to you that you were surprised or shocked about at all? And the fact that he seemed to you know, kind of relish the fact that he was in the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, once they had created the celebrity wing, um, it's a limited amount of, of celebrities that they've had, and, and basically the ones that who've been through a WrestleMania are the most memorable ones. It wasn't a surprise, and it didn't feel it didn't feel inappropriate at the time because you know it's the celebrity wing. Um, I was lucky enough to have been there, not just to see Trump, but I really wanted to see Bruno Sammartino and. I do remember Trump getting booed and the event being quite long, um, but he didn't seem Trump didn't seem shaken by the boos. He just enjoyed the attention. And when he noted his wife was there, Melania, actually probably the first pro wrestling related event that she returned from since around 2000, when she and Trump were sitting in the front row and Gangrel spewed the blood mist at them and you see uh, a Donald smiling wildly and Melania uh, recoiling. <laughs> she probably said, take your, you know, take your boys and your daughter to the events. Now I, I don't really want to go. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that when he noted her in the audience, it got smattering of tears. And then due to her looks, um, his daughter got a uh, much larger tears. So that was the, the encouragement for him. Um, one of the, fun things when I was doing my research, I was almost tricked um, because I was watching uh, not on the network at first, I just looked it up on YouTube, Donald Trump's Hall of Fame speech, and what came up was a clip that had been altered. So instead of him coming out to money, 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 um, somebody had put the New World Order song instead. <laughs> so at first I was like, you know, I was writing pages, I was like, wow, you know, look at the coincidence of this, you know, and so on. But then I realized, oh, that that, that was um, fake news. <laughs> um, I feel like with Trump, a lot of his speeches and a lot of his character and a lot of the way he carries himself does kind of remind me, not of the New World Order, but kind of reminds me of the heel Vince McMahon character. And I feel like, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I feel like he stole the You're Fired from Vince, but he just turned it and changed it into like, his own inflection and changed it into his own way of saying it. There is definitely that uh, interplay between who had it first. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, excuse me, the original inspiration was um, Vince, but Donald really took it and made it his own. And, you know, I remember in the, what was it, 2003, four or five, when, you know, the apprentice was, was running hot, you know, everyone enjoyed saying it and just, you know, kind of miming that it, it was a fun thing to be involved in. So he certainly, if he didn't invent the catchphrase, he certainly 
made it his own, much like, you know, when you think about Hulk Hogan and, and you discover those um, superstar Billy Graham uh, interviews for the first time, or you see, you know, the stars that Dusty Rhodes had inspired with his speeches, you know, you could really see where, where they get the material from. Now, if I could change gears just a, a little bit, because there are some recent events and some controversies as far as WB and in Saudi Arabia. And it's kind of, um, I won't say in jeopardy, so to speak, but there's a lot of rumors that it is possibly going to change venues. It's going to happen in Saudi Arabia. I mean, there's so many different things and so many different ways it could go. But Trump is kind of thrown right in the middle of it as well. So what do you think about this whole WB Saudi Arabia thing? Obviously the, the controversy I would think that the man being murdered, um, like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. The fact that Vince hasn't really publicly said anything, but kind of Trump is publicly saying things. So what's your whole take on this thing? Sure. Um, you know, putting aside the, the terrible tragedy from a geopolitical perspective, it, it's very complicated and it was complicated when they, they first signed the deal and it, it's more complicated now, you know, overall we have to think about, corporations and business and their, um, you know, their bottom line is to bring money for their shareholders. So this is certainly a way for them to do that, where it's rumored that they make about 40 to 50 million per show, which is um, only, you know, behind um, some of their biggest TV rights. It's much more lucrative even than WrestleMania on its face. Um you know, with the country of Saudi Arabia sort of re, trying to reimagine or remarket itself, you know, there were, there are a number of signs, um, you know, for things that, you know, people wouldn't agree with. Um, what's interesting is to look back on history and wrestling. And when we think about something like um, uh, collision in Korea um, in the mid nineties, when North Korea hosted um, the two day um, wrestling festival, where there was, um, estimates to be 150 to 180,000 people there at the event. Um, what was said was that those people were compelled to be there and, and there wasn't a, a fee charge, but it was certainly the record for pro wrestling attendance. What did that mean for a New Japan sending talent and a WCW sending talent? It was kind of under the radar at the time till the numbers started coming out and there was footage shared. Um, in that same way, not, not saying Saudi Arabia is, is the same type of country or in that position, um, it's not just a sold show. Whereas, you know, it was thinking about it at a very small scale in, in the early 80s when the WWF would have a fundraiser for middle school and they'd send a certain amount of talent, get their, you know, a few thousand dollars and, and be out of there. It was an endorsement of the school. Um, this is a sold show to a through a regime, but the difference is it's not just talent performing. So much of the first event was branded as an endorsement of Saudi Arabia, of a John Cena, you know, thanking the people of Saudi Arabia and, you know, um, reels running and, and sort of being like, yes, WWE and fans of WWE should endorse this um, country and its leaders. Um, if it's going to be the same way in two weeks, um, you know, that's a major concern. And for Trump, he's sort of figuring it out. First, it was sort of the story of, um, you know, there's so much money and so many jobs here and, 
what what the actual money is and, and jobs is sort of up in the air. But now that it's come out pretty much exactly what happened or the facts as we know them, uh, Trump has gone the other way on it. So I think there's even more pressure on the WWE. And with Linda McMahon, again, being in the middle, as you mentioned, like like the cover, um, you know, it creates even more pressure because she's not only, um, you know, somebody that's been involved with the company, but she still has a major amount of, of shares and she's part of the administration. Hey, let's pause for one second to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Eat Your Coffee. Eat Your Coffee is a coffee company that was founded by coffee-deprived college students that pioneered a new category in caffeinated natural snacks. The company's first product line, Eat Your Coffee Bars, are a date-based snack bar caffeinated with fair trade coffee, which would be comparable to one cup, and made with real ingredients so you can feel good with every energizing bite. Eat Your Coffee snack bars are non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, 70% organic, and available in three delicious flavors, including fudgy mocha latte, salted caramel macchiato, and peanut butter mocha, my personal favorite. Now that is an energizing combination because they are on a mission to help get people energized with naturally caffeinated snacks made with real, ethically sourced ingredients. So if you want more information, head on over to www.eatyour.coffee, as well as follow them on Instagram, follow them on Facebook, follow them on Pinterest, and follow them on Twitter, and get all the information on how you can energize the moment with eat your coffee bars it is kind of crazy when you think about it that again trump is lumped in with wb whether he wants to be or not like you said linda the linda connection obviously his relationship with vince them asking him a lot of political questions about should they be over there Uh, does the money matter i mean you know look at the way their culture is over there you how could you kind of publicize that how could you kind of promote that so i just think it's it's so funny that's like man like trump and the wb trump and vince can never escape each other no matter you know how big trump gets in the political world president obviously pretty much the biggest in the free world you can get but you know he just can't manage to escape the wb no matter what it seems right Yes, and it's great for the book, certainly, and it's fun to follow. Nearly every week, there's something that either it's an explicit connection like this, or there's some comparison in you know mainstream media where they're talking about something Trump did and how it came from pro wrestling or how it's related or something that Linda McMahon is involved in and how it involves Trump and also her background in wrestling. There's, there's always something interesting um, bubbling. I feel like more so in the last couple elections than ever before, especially when they have those big conventions and all these things going on and, you know, the build up to who's going to run and everything else. I feel like so much was taken from the pro wrestling world that is now used in the political world. They have videos, they have pyro, they have the, the fireworks, they have entrance music, uh, they have everything you could think of that has already been in the pro wrestling world, but in the politics world. I know a lot of that is Trump, but a lot of that is the other guys running as well. Do you think that politics is really, you know, got its eye on pro wrestling or maybe subconsciously stealing a lot of things from the pro wrestling world? I think uh, what pro wrestling has always done well is that you know, it, it finds a space to appeal to a, a broad number of people. Although, you know, we we have a dedicated fan base on Twitter where we discuss sort of inside baseball type aspects. 
but pro wrestling at its best, it sort of gathers a majority of people and um, appeals to them. Like, you know, it's it's been known for more than the last 30 years that you put pro wrestling on some cable television, it's going to do good ratings. Whether you can get the advertising dollars back is a challenge. Um, but the same thing with politics in that you want to appeal to a broad number of people and get your message out there in a way that's easily digestible. So I think there's that connection there. And politics is smart to take those elements from wrestling of sort of making it a show that, that's bigger than the individual. And the example, again, leans back on Trump when one of the examples I could think of most would be um, when Trump um, participated in one of the Republican conventions and his entrance was compared to The Undertaker. It was sort of like a um, uh, the opposite, sort of instead of the dark, um, he was bathed in light, his shadow and such, it was very much like an Undertaker-like entrance. Good parallel. <laughs> I definitely mm-hmm. think, uh, I don't know, I could see him wanting the brood entrance, like you said before about the uh, the blood. I could see him wanting to come up from the bottom of the stage. But what about the reception of the book? You feel that the people who can separate the actual story uh, of the McMahons and, and the Trump relationship can separate it from the actual political uh, feelings that they may have towards the president? Um, it's actually been really interesting. Um, you know, the response has been positive and, um, you know, I was imagining approaching a book like this that, you know, it could be, um, sort of entering, uh, landmines and and such. You never know what, what feedback that you'll get. Probably the most contentious feedback was when I first started sharing it, you know, on, on Facebook and such sort of outside of my own network where 95% of the people seemed excited about it and about 5% that they wanted to use the books for toilet paper and stuff. So um, <laughs> I said, I don't mind. It's available on Amazon. You know, do what you need to do. No, but um, thankfully, the, the feedback has been that, you know, it's a fair book, that, you know, it's nonpartisan. Um, I think when, when people are looking at it closely, they could see at certain points I'm a little bit snarky um, with, with different points. But in general, you know, it's fact-based. And you can sort of take it for what you will if you just want the trip down memory lane for wrestling and for me as somebody that watched it really closely and the research I was able to do it goes much more in depth than that but also for for those that aren't even interested in pro wrestling it allows you to understand Trump through the lens of the WWE and especially kayfabe and when people are arguing against facts you have to understand that this goes beyond that and sometimes going beyond facts is seen as a strategy for winning and if you're only looking at it from one perspective you're not getting the whole story you're entitled to be snarky you're a wrestling fan of over 30 years you've earned the ability to be snarky and the right to be snarky uh about anything and everything that's related to uh to this world of wrestling but you know just kind of looking at it from the the two-man power trip perspective and the people we've had on the show either talking about trump you know being around him at uh, WrestleMania 23, or you look at uh, some of the folks that have used the gimmick, the, the Make America Great Again gimmick, as a means to get over. His role in wrestling definitely has uh, gone way past, I think, what he ever expected. But when you look at guys like a Brian Cage or somebody like Sam Adonis that really took these uh, pro-Trump characters and turned them into a full-fledged 
uh, wrestling heel. You got to think that uh, that the Donald probably uh, he probably likes that deep down. You know, he probably likes that he was able to impact uh, the business in such a way, and especially you know selling more of that uh, "Make America Great Again" merch. Oh yes, I'm sure he doesn't mind the attention, and um, who knows, you know. When, whenever his political career is over, if, if he'll come back for a manager's role. And um, one of the uh, most fascinating characters, besides those that you've mentioned, is somebody that sort of flipped it around, um, who calls himself the progressive liberal, and in a very um, Republican-centric district in eastern Tennessee, the old Smoky Mountain wrestling territories, he's really the number one heel. Yeah, you know, and and that's kind of funny too because it's uh, <laughs> it's it, you can look at it from every perspective. I remember when we had Brian Cage on when this is before Brian Cage really blew up and, and became such a favorite across uh, the, you know the the professional wrestling landscape. He was just starting to really hit his stride, and when he came out for the first time and he was wearing the uh, the, the Trump shirt down in Mexico, and they went absolutely apeshit. And and just booed this guy out of the building. He remarked to us that he didn't see the backlash coming. He just thought he was, you know, being a heel. He was just doing the, uh, you know, the pro-Trump gimmick. He didn't see it being that big of a deal. Just, you know, regular day at the office as a bad guy trying to get heat. You never know what's going to put it over the top and sort of where reality meets fandom. That's sort of, those are the special moments as long as it's not too far. Yeah, exactly. And who knows, in Mexico, it could go way too far, <laughs> and sometimes you can cause a riot, and you got to get the hell out of there. But Cage, uh, he definitely did it the right way. And Sam Adonis, too. I mean, even still, he uh, about you know, what, two, three months ago, it was, he had an incident on an independent show where uh, the character might have gone a little bit too far, and he had to kind of step outside the box and you know, tell everybody that there's a difference between the character that he's portraying and the character that uh, he has outside of the ring. So, you know, again, the the, the parallels are just, uh, it, it's very interesting. But then you see the guys that interacted with him at WrestleMania 23, Battle of the Billionaires, that weren't involved in the match. And again, I think about on our show, a good friend of ours, Kevin Thorne, talked about how Trump saw his jacket, his ring jacket, and said how he was so impressed by the look of a vampire's jacket, you know, and there's these little interactions that he had that you could see he was very, you know, uh, he was very much loving being around the guys. And you got to say it, he's, he's a New Yorker, you know, he likes to conversate, he likes to be around cool people. He fit right in backstage with the boys. Yeah, he's, he's not somebody that's, um, that's afraid to mix it up, especially if it's somebody of, you know, with, with a similar interest to him and, um, I'm forgetting the exact quotes, but um, he was saying to people that, you know, um, I'm just like you, except I have a lot more money, (laughs) (laughs) which is definitely a a great, you know, sort of Trump perspective that he really sees himself among the people, but, you know, somebody that's advantaged. Give me a Donald Trump WWE moment that people might overlook. And now I'm going to, I pinpoint WrestleMania 7, that he was there, and not a lot of people recognized the fact he was there. He was also at WrestleMania 20 and got a separate little, uh, you know, uh, interview time with Jesse Ventura. But is there a Trump moment that we've missed that you kind of dug up uh, in the midst of all your research? That's a great question. Um, one of the things that really stands out to me is um, when he was owner of 
raw for that brief time and he gave out the money um, or the money started falling from the ceiling. Um, you know, in an interview, he said, of course, you know, I gave out money. I wanted the people to cheer me. <laughs> uh, he could be doing that uh, left and right. <laughs> hey, when he, when, hey, when the taxes uh, got a little bit lower, I think we were all kind of, uh, you know, we were all kind of cheering uh, a few months back, but hey, you know, he's, he's, he wants to be, uh, he wants to be liked. He wants a lot of stuff positive out there in the media. And uh, it's kind of funny the way the wrestling media is and the dirt sheets and, you know, and looking at your bibliography and seeing some of the sources that you use. It's not every day that you can see the Wrestling Observer or PW Torch reference or a podcast reference when doing uh, research on uh, the 45th president of the United States. No, it's, yeah, it's wonderful. I, I thought it was important to get, uh, you know, basically as many wonderful sources as I could. And sometimes when we are focused so much on wrestling, we forget sort of what, what the public perception is as well. So being able to access those archives of what was the public saying at these times really gave balance to the book. So you did not look for a forward or an afterward by Jim Cornette then for this book, did you? <laughs> no, but I've been hoping he would mention it. I did send him a copy. <laughs> you might need a few more pages here. It might uh, you might you might actually go you might go over three hundred pages if you had uh, Cornette's take uh, on the president. But you know we talked about it on the Triple Threat podcast in the past, and and we did go kind of heavy into politics when we first started that show because that's where Shane uh, Douglas and his interests lie. But you kind of see with uh, with the boys, you know, like we said backstage, they it was cool, but it's almost like he's such a polarizing figure that. Either, you know, you're going to go all in on your support or you're going to go all out on your support. And the fact that you haven't had any kind of major uh, heat from any of the wrestling people, that's pretty cool. I, I got to say, it's, uh, it's a very informative book. So I, I think you did a great job in, in putting this together and getting it out there to the fans. Thank you so much. So far, so good. You never know who will discover it and, and what they have to say. <laughs> and being a fan yourself, like I said, you know that we're uh, we're all cynical and we're all snarky. But uh, hey, you know that's uh, that's the beauty of it all. But before I hand it back to John and we start to get into the uh, the latter half of the interview, I want to just go back to WrestleMania four and five again. And the home videos. I mean, look, we rented them to death. I mean, you said it yourself. You would go down to the video store. And you would uh, you'd rent WrestleMania four, you'd rent WrestleMania five. You'd see those uh, those colorful characters, those giants. Looking at today's wrestling, could you see this roster? Could you see uh, the, the people that we're seeing now? Could you see them getting involved in a WrestleMania four style tournament there at uh, Trump Plaza? Could you put any of those guys into that nineteen eighty eight WWF era? I think there's always somebody that transcends sort of their time period and, you know, if given the right opportunities or the right rocket that they can really stand out. I would have loved to see him Braun Strowman there. He just, he has a special it factor. I'm a little bit concerned with, you know, when he's being switched from heel to face and such, but he really has something and that would be fun to see him, you know, with a Bam Bam Bigelow or a Hacksaw Duggan to, to see what would happen. Now, as we start to wind it down here, talking about WrestleMania 4, WrestleMania 5, we talked about WrestleMania 23, we talked about the Hall of Fame. There's so many great Donald Trump moments, and we talked about him being the owner of Raw as well. What is your favorite 
Donald Trump WWE quote unquote WWF moment? That's a great, uh, great question. Um, you know, it might be it might be a funny one, but um, I really enjoyed watching the audience um, and his front row position in WrestleMania Seven, sort of because the WWE is so um, sort of perception focused that you know we've heard in the past that they've had seat fillers at WrestleMania that you know if a seat is empty they never want to have it on screen. You'll rarely see with the WWE as you might see, let's say, like with a Ring of Honor show where they might be in a bigger building and if they've drawn 1,500, um, you know, they're not as worried about the 5,000 seats behind them that are empty. But Vince McMahon is very public perception. So in giving Donald Trump the front row seat at WrestleMania 7, there was that expectation that, you know, he would stay in his seat. Um, but hmm. really, most of the event, he had gotten up from his seat. Um, including, I believe, missing, you know, The Undertaker's uh, debut. Um, but he was certainly there and enthusiastic for the main event. So, but it was really a problem that they couldn't solve because what are you going to do, right? People notice that it's Donald Trump that should be in the front row. And if you just have any Joe Schmo uh, sitting <laughs> in the front row, it's going to look very silly. <laughs> right. You can't, like, who's that in Trump's seat? And then all of a sudden Trump is back for Hogan versus Slaughter. It's like, but they, you know, who the hell was that in Trump's seat the whole time? Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. You know what's great that I learned about you and kind of doing some research, not only on the book, but looking at some um, other media that you did and things like that, is that we were probably at some of the same Ring of Honor shows back in the day that you were at. I know you mentioned Mike Johnson and, and taking the bus trip and, and, and things like that, but... We used to go to all the shows that were at the Rexplex in Elizabeth, New Jersey. We used to go to Philadelphia, used to go to New York. My God, I was looking up old ROH shows, and I was like, oh, my God, I think I was at, like, half the shows for the year. It was kind of crazy thinking about all the money that, that was spent on tickets. But what were your kind of memories going to those great ROH shows? It was a very special time for me because I had really lost my – interest in, in the business very quickly after, you know, ECW collapsed and WCW folded into the WWE. And they were still kind of coming out of that like shock television era with Katie Vick and such. It just wasn't that engaging to me, but it's still subscribing to the wrestling observer. You know, I would read about these amazing things happening um, in ring of honor with CM Punk and Samoa Joe and, um, Daniel Bryan, that when somehow I got on Mike Johnson's email list, like you mentioned, I was sort of like, yeah, let me, you know, I'm single, like, you know, at the time, let me go check this out. You know, it, it should be a lot of fun. So the bus trips um, were, were really fun and memorable. Like you mentioned, going to Elizabeth, New Jersey and Philadelphia, the armory. Um, and one of the things that I remember about uh, the Rexplex was that um, somebody got on and it was CM Punk. And I was like, okay, yeah, I, I read about him in the observer, but I was like, why is everyone so excited? You know, but that was before his match had, had taken place that evening. And I was like, okay, I get this now. Um, but it was cool to be part of something special happening. Like you had these, these talents um, together and you could just really feel like, wow, you know, this is a moment. It's not going to last forever. Um, and enjoy this. And especially when it was in, in smaller venues, um, 
I forgot the place in, in New York City where they were for a couple of shows. That was a really small venue um, in the afternoon of One Night Stand. And um, Was that the Manhattan Hotel? Yeah, it was definitely one of those ballroom type events. It, it was smaller than the Manhattan Center, but just like being a part of it and, and banging on the guardrail and, hmm. you know, um, you know, the way you could see Carrie Silken outside Madison Square Garden with the WWF sh- or WWE show, handing out flyers and say thank you. It was very much fun to be a part of that. And it still resonates with me. You know, it, it's not the same, but, you know, when I go to live wrestling, most of the time, it's to see a Ring of Honor, usually uh, a couple of times a year. Used to love those uh, those shows. I mean, they were on a roll then. You mentioned Punk and Joe and Daniel Bryan, a.k.a. Bryan Danielson. So much fun going to those shows. And I, I love the Rexplex as a venue. It's kind of a shame that whatever happened, tax evasion or whatever the hell happened, the Rexplex, that, that it was gone. But I used to love that venue. That was a great venue. Yeah, the to me the non traditional venues are, are the most fun. Sort of like, okay, it's a it's a skateboarding place, let's figure out how to get as many seats in as we can and we'll have a cage match and it was fun because, you know, you would see over the curtain like the kids that were um uh skating, they're sort of like looking over the curtain instead of skating, kind of seeing what's going on and what's all this noise. The New Yorker Hotel, Joe um was that I, I believe the venue that we were thinking of was that small kind of um, venue, not too far away from uh, the Manhattan Center and and some of the other you know great MSG and some of the other great venues that uh, Ring of Honor went to. Very small, but very great and such a loud atmosphere. Yes, I, I should have um, I should remember New Yorker Hotel um, because that's certainly the marquee of that around the corner from the Manhattan center always stands out. Yes. Now, you know, we're talking about kind of uh, favorite Trump moments where it's just kind of reminiscing a little bit about the good old days of ROH and just some great shows and things like that. But, you know, as far as, as, as Trump and Vince and everything, what has kind of been your, I'd say, not really revelation or really favorite thing, but what is something that came out of, of kind of studying those two? Is it something that you, you didn't know before kind of going in, but now you know, and it's like, wow, Trump and Vince, maybe they have something in common or not in common, but something that maybe you didn't know going into this experience of writing the book. So um, one of the elements that I mentioned, certainly the aspect when they would lean upon each other um, with you know, the World Bodybuilding Federation being one example. And the the points in between were, were some of the most fascinating to me, where somebody that's even a casual, if it's somewhat serious fan, they could probably name, you know, the five or six touch points that everyone is familiar with between Trump and McMahon. But one thing to really note is that although the relationship would um, be quieter, it never went completely cold. You know, Trump would attend, you know, WrestleMania 7 and would attend um, Madison Square Garden, the front row during the Attitude Era and went for WrestleMania 20. Um, Probably one of the most fun things is sort of when they would foreshadow um, political aspirations um, where, um, you know, there would be that interplay between Jerry Lawler and, and Donald Trump at 
WrestleMania 20 or, um, you know, in and around the Hall of Fame aspects of maybe uh, a billionaire should be vice president and, and those sorts of things where it's fun to, you wouldn't really catch it much, um, you know, initially, but looking back on it, it was, it was cool to see like how so through proxy McMahon would actually be positioning Trump as being a good political candidate, if not the president. I know you cover it a little bit in the book, but it seems like now, especially, they don't really talk politics too much. They don't really mention Trump too much in the show. Is there some sort of gag order? Is there something where they're like, okay, we don't want to alienate 50% of the audience or, or whatever, you know, maybe 55% of the audience, whatever it is. So we don't want to talk politics. Is there some sort of gag order or is there something within WB where they don't really want to talk Trump too much or they don't really want to talk politics too much? Early on, when, when Trump was elected, or even you know, as he was getting serious towards the final candidate, there was that word being reported of, of a potential gag order where um, Seth Rollins had denied that. Um, but the way that I really see it is that although they're, they're hard at, at doing this and managing certain elements of their PR sometimes, as we're looking at the Saudi Arabia situation, um, or even, you know, not being heavy-handed when we think about sort of the um, the unfortunate position Roman Reigns is in and then running an angle at the end of the show, sort of being obtuse or, or not, not understanding the temperature of what to do that's right. For some reason, they've really gotten it right with the Donald Trump situation, that they understand how divided America is right now. And if you're to show, um, you know, sort of how you might support him personally, you'll, you'll alienate... Um, a fair amount of your audience that they've kind of realized that even though we can leverage this and promote it like we did early on that, you know, when he won or posted on Twitter that better to stay away from this. I think the way they think about it is sort of like, be like Disney, just be vanilla and don't show support politically. And, you know, everyone will be happy and just ignore it. And I think that's what they've done. We can see sort of, their true opinions of it more on people that are periphery of the company, like a, a JBL or a Jerry Lawler, who aren't really active, you know, on the roster or with full-time jobs, that they'll openly support Trump. But no one within the company really pushes that too much. They're, they're careful of that. So if it's not a formal gag order, informally, it seems pretty clear, like, just don't touch this because it's, it's not going to end too well either way. Yeah, and that's right. And the name of the book, let's give the whole title here. It's Trump Mania, Vince McMahon, WWE, and the Making of America's 45th President. One last question we have here before we get into the the big plug, and you can send everybody in the direction of getting the book and, and where they can reach out to you. What's next for you, Lavi? Are you going to be scouting the, uh, the Rock? Are you going to be watching Dwayne The Rock Johnson and whenever he's going to be throwing his name? Uh, is everybody always throwing out there that he's going to be looking to... Uh, take on the presidency down the road in the future. What's uh, what's kind of next in your world here uh, on the writing docket? Sure. So definitely I'm keeping my eye on, on the rock um, in terms of book projects. Um, one that um, uh, my wife and I are, are working on and nearing the completion on it's called six figure gamer. Um, it's about uh, a young man who's part of Generation Z, um, somebody in his early 20s who wasn't very good at school 
um, struggled, but then found his way to the world of massive multiplayer online gaming. And although he likes to remain anonymous, he's not a tournament game player. He's figured out a way to make about $150,000 a year, sometimes playing in ways that are unhealthy for long periods of time, but sort of figuring out his life. So we're telling the story of some members of this generation as technology changes and the way we consider education changes and how one can come out successful even if school isn't their thing. Very nice. See, there you go. Look at the, I like the broadening of the horizons, and I like uh, kind of getting out there and exploring all the different things the world has to offer. But, Lavi, listen, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, anytime I can talk about WrestleMania 4 and 5 is uh, always a great night. But please, before we wrap it up here, send the listeners of the two-man power trip in your direction, where they can find you on social media, where they can get their hands on this book. A very fine cover. I got to say, I love the feel of the book. <laughs> it actually, the cover is quite nice. I, uh, I really like the way the, uh, the final product came out. Thank you. And um, one, one person I should mention in terms of the images for the book is Fox Brown, who wrote the New York Times bestselling Andre the Giant graphic novel. I was very lucky to work with him. But um, if you want to talk wrestling with me, um, I'm on there too much time on the day, but I'm always checking on Twitter. Um, Lavi Marg, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G. And if you want to check out the book, um, any Amazon, Amazon.com or wherever you live, you can get the print edition or the Kindle edition. Awesome. Well, Lavi, listen, it's been a lot of fun. Appreciate you taking the time tonight and uh, all the best. And, uh, you know, let's continue to uh, make wrestling great again. Sounds great. All the best, guys. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.